0: A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. These are two things that happened on the same day. It was yesterday. Here in Canada, where you might have heard our vaccine rollout has been messy and slow to get going, we passed the United Kingdom in terms of percentage of adults with at least one shot. The United Kingdom makes its own vaccine. It had a big head start. We passed them. The second thing got a lot less attention, especially in this country. The director general of the World Health Organization revealed that 0.4% of the 1.8 billion doses of vaccines delivered so far have gone to low-income countries. He called it ethically, epidemiologically, and economically unacceptable. I'm going to call it not that surprising. While Canadians were all wondering where our vaccines were and why we trailed the United States, who we also passed in terms of first doses a while ago, by the way, the rest of the world was waiting for help. Any help. Help from countries like Canada that still hasn't come. And there is a cost to this even for our vaccinated friends and neighbours here in Canada. We just won't know how high the cost is until we pay it. So how inequitable has the vaccine rollout been around the world? How can we move to fix it? And when you hear the catchphrase, the pandemic isn't over until it's over everywhere, what does that actually mean, scientifically? Jordan Heath-Rawlings, this is The Big Story. Dr. Ananya Tina Banerjee is an assistant professor at McGill University in the School of Population and Global Health. She is an expert in global and public health equity as well as social justice. Hello, Dr. Banerjee.
1: Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me on this show.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, Thank you for your expertise today. Do you want to start maybe uh, giving us perspective, I think, from outside Canada, from an equity point of view on When we worry about our vaccine rollout in Canada, how are we doing compared to everyone else?
1: So as Canadians, we need to be very grateful that more than 50% of our population has received the first vaccination, and that is actually extremely high when you compare to low-middle-income countries. If you are living in a high-income country such as Canada, the likelihood is that you have already got your COVID-19 vaccine or will soon get one. Sadly, This is not the reality for millions of people living in several low- and middle-income countries. More than half a billion vaccine doses have been administered so far, And guess what? Three quarters of them have been used by the world's richest countries, which means that only 0.1% of COVID-19 vaccine doses have been administered in low-income countries. And at this rate, it might take many years for low-middle-income countries to reach a high level of vaccine coverage. And the reality is, until we really push for global vaccine equity, We're going to see more and more people dying around the world, while as Canadians, we begin to celebrate what right now is a false notion that many are understanding that the pandemic will be over for us maybe by the end of the summer.
0: We spent the first four months of this year complaining about how far behind we were uh, in terms of vaccinations and how long it was taking and how bad the rollout is. Why do you think it's so hard? And I'm not blaming anybody personally for that feeling. I'm sure I felt it at times as well. But why do you think it's so hard for us to have the proper perspective on, on how we're doing at this?
1: So I appreciate that question. And I was, you know, among the public health researchers and advocates in Canada that was actually very concerned about an inequitable vaccine rollout here in Canada. And we saw it happen. We saw, for example, immigrant communities, racialized communities, seniors, um, homeless individuals were being completely left behind the vaccine rollout. And it took a lot of rallying and to convince our Provincial and federal governments that we must give the vaccine to those um, who are at highest risk. They need to be first in line. And finally, we started to catch up. So we saw, for example, long-term care homes finally receiving the vaccines among their residents and workers. We started to see hotspot neighborhoods across Canada, particularly in Ontario and in BC and in Quebec really bringing the vaccine to the communities that are at highest risk. And I'm not saying that, you know, we are now getting ready for a perfect, you know, rollout in terms of getting the second vaccine, we are going to see issues coming ahead for sure. And now there's a huge debate happening, you know, do kids get vaccinated? And shouldn't, you know, seniors should be receiving their second dose right now. And luckily this week, you know, those who are 80 plus uh, can finally get their second uh, vaccine. So, This is going to be happening in Canada. I think for me personally, when I started advocating for global vaccine equity, it actually really started when India started to experience their deadly second wave of the pandemic. And for someone who has family in India, I saw firsthand virtually, obviously, the struggles that my family was going through in terms of accessing a vaccine, but then all of a sudden being hit with this second wave. And I'm saying, I have a relative almost every week who's coming down with COVID. And, and we've seen what's happening in India, and it's a result of not having access to the vaccine. These new waves that we're going to start seeing across various countries, and we've also seen it here at home in Canada, is a result of not vaccinating quickly enough, which leads to a lot of new variants, which we actually don't have confidence in that the vaccines that we're getting right now will protect us from future variants, particularly from countries that, you know, do not have access to vaccines right now.
0: And I want to get into the science uh, behind the vaccines and variants in a little bit. But first, you know, because you're speaking of India and, you know, family in India, and we've had uh, other health experts on this program who have other family uh, back there. What kinds of measures, as we look at global vaccine equity, what kinds of measures are supposed to be in place uh, to ensure that maybe if the richest countries get theirs first, but the rest of the world will catch up quickly?
1: really the solution is that every country should have the right to make its own vaccines during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. That's the one principle underpinning the campaign to temporarily waive intellectual property IP protection on coronavirus vaccines. So, This is called the TRIPS waiver. And so this campaign was initiated by India and South Africa and has actually been backed by more than 100 countries along with international organizations such as the World Health Organization and the United Nations, uh, AIDS Charity and UNAIDS. And their goal is really to help reduce the barriers to countries producing their own vaccines, particularly for lowest income Nations. Mm-hmm. The core problem of the inequities that we're seeing in terms of the vaccine rollout globally is that vaccine manufacturing research and development is heavily concentrated in a small group of high and middle income countries right. such as the European nations, the UK, and the US. And companies in these countries um, are also the main IP holders, and they have sold the majority of available vaccine doses to their own governments and to governments of other high-income nations such as ourselves. Some 6 billion doses uh, out of 8.6 billion have confirmed purchases so far and have been pre-ordered by governments like our own, um, who are high and middle-income countries. So where does this leave the rest of the world? Well, essentially, they are being left as a charitable status and we need to understand that the trip's waiver is not asking for charity but it's giving the human uh, right to develop and make their own, vaccines and really be free from the worry that they will be sued by patent holders if they do go ahead and start to produce uh, their own vaccines. And this is what the core problem is. And so really, in order for other countries to catch up, it's not fair that for a fair to them to be at the mercy of high income countries and to begin receiving doses when it's convenient for us. And the reality is the convenience really lies in high income countries when about 75 to 80% of our populations are fully vaccinated. So I ask mm-hmm. the audience, how is this fair? How is it as Canadians? We are getting ready to perhaps have A normal summer while countries are battling second waves and losing lives, you know, fundamentally every minute.
0: So what practically needs to happen for this TRIPS waiver? You mentioned 100 countries and the WHO and the United Nations. I remember President Biden uh, probably a few weeks ago now saying that he supported that. But what's still in the way?
1: Yeah, this was around uh, May 5th, I believe, that, you know, the United States, who have actually been opposed to beginning talks on patent waivers, you know, months and months ago and it was actually quite shocking for many of us to see this monumental moment that happened about a month ago um, for g7 countries like the united states to really support the broad waiver of all intellectual property protections for vaccines also therapeutics and diagnostics and really the shift that we saw in the us's position was actually a major first step to aiding global efforts to fight the pandemic. The U.S. is a powerhouse. And we were really hoping that Canada will also join forces with the U.S. Unfortunately, you know, after three weeks, we are still seeing just words of we're ready to support, we're ready to have conversations. And we know that the G7 meeting is coming up in the U.K. and it is part of their, their agenda to talk about ensuring that all countries will, you know, hopefully receive their first dose by the end of the year. The original timeline was actually 2025. <laughs> and again, these are all words right now. And until we start to really see action and again, really actually seeing, you know, the TRIPS agreement um, to be waived. Um, I'm not very confident <laughs> that um, many countries in this world will be seeing the vaccine anytime soon.
0: The Big Story will be back in just a minute. What about more direct charitable organizations or programs. Um, I recall at the very beginning of this vaccination rollout when Canada was still way behind, we drew from a program called COVAX, which was supposed to help countries that don't have many vaccines. And, And we got some, which I guess was great for us, but I don't think it's working very well, is it?
1: it's not working very well. And I would argue perhaps Canada shouldn't have dipped into the COVAX initiative, even though we know they invested quite a bit. So when we think about the COVAX scheme, it's really an international effort uh, that was actually set up last year to ensure fair access to vaccines among rich and poor nations. But we know that the global situation continues to be vastly uneven. And so more than 49 million vaccine doses uh, have been delivered through COVAX. But what's interesting is Dr. Tedros from the World Health Organization has actually criticized wealthier nations, uh, including the US and Canada and the UK, for undermining COVAX and really accusing them of gobbling up the global vaccine supply by ordering multiple times more than they need for their own populations. And, you know, he had said in April that Only 0.3% of the vaccines administered around the world uh, so far have gone to people in low-income countries. And and these are the vaccines that are supposed to be um, supplied through the COVAX scheme. It's been really disappointing to see Canada... What it seems very reluctant right now to share doses with countries who need it the most, for example, India right now, because we know India... The only way that they can overcome this second wave is to fully vaccinate their population. And until they do, we're going to see many deadly waves to come uh, in India, which will give a rise to variants as well. Countries such as France was actually the first country to dip into its own domestic supply and to share vaccines. And they actually sent 31,000 doses with another 74,000 on its way. And also, the European Union and the United States have also promised to share 100 million and 80 million doses, respectively, with low-income countries by the end of the year. But the reality is regions in, for example, Africa, urgently need at least 20 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, in the next six weeks to administer second doses to everyone who received their first um, within the 8 to 12 week recommended interval between doses. So we have to remember that Africa, you know, they are largely relying on India through the Serum Institute um, to give them vaccines. But because of the situation in, in India right now, and rightfully so, India has decided to not export any vaccines until the end of the year. So here's the question. This is a prime opportunity for wealthy countries such as Canada, the US, European nations, and the UK to come forward and to see if they can band together and send those doses, you know, that is heavily needed by uh, Africa and yet there's no concerted efforts uh, happening right now and it was really ironic to me that we had about 45,000 AstraZeneca doses that were about to be expired um, and then magically uh, now they can be used until July First, right. um, and again, you know, losing these opportunities that we have to send doses to countries that are low income to help prevent deadly waves to come to protect the most vulnerable, such as healthcare workers and older people, um, it's not happening, and and it's really, really, really disappointing to see the level of vaccine nationalism that is happening, and also the competition that is happening. Between the U.S. and Canada, as we've seen in the media, Canada is consistently boasting uh, how much they are trying to get ahead of the vaccine game compared to the U.S.
0: I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I guess a few people have by now, but, you know, you posted on Twitter that this shouldn't be the vaccine Olympics. Explain that to me.
1: It's really disheartening to see our country, particularly our government leaders and different media sources, keeping track to see if Canada is beating the U.S. in terms of how many people are getting uh, vaccinated. And again, it really shows how close-minded as a country we are, and that we are very ignorant in terms of what is happening outside our borders mm-hmm. and having the media in particularly reinforce these messages are extremely dangerous because it fails to acknowledge and educate the greater Canadian population that we're actually not going to be ending this pandemic unless the pandemic ends globally. And we can't frame the global vaccine roll out as the Olympics. It's it's absolutely not fair, especially when we know that low-income countries are unfortunately having to wait for countries like ourselves in Canada to be fully vaccinated until we can start sharing doses uh, with them. I don't know about you, Jordan, but I don't feel very proud to be a Canadian right now. And there is definitely does not seem that we are all in this together globally and that Canada is actually being very selfish right now and really putting themselves at first, which is frustrating because we are going to be fully vaccinated in the months to come. It's going to happen. And it's really unfortunate that they are not thinking more broadly and really working right now in terms of how do we make sure that everyone in this world is protected from the virus and not only
0: us? It certainly seems like, and I can understand it from the point of view of just an individual Canadian citizen. You know, you're, you've are you been scared for more than a year. You're desperate to get vaccinated. But what I wonder about is if the governments are seeing the same Data you're looking at, we're all seeing it. Uh, has it just become politicized, with the provinces complaining about the number of vaccines we're getting, and the federal government blaming the provinces for the rollouts? and And is that what's making prioritizing only Canadians until we're all done uh, such an important part of the government's plan?
1: Absolutely. The vaccine rollout has been extremely politicized and it's also, you know, ensuring that the economy doesn't also uh, get affected. And it has already been affected, but trying to really, you know, see how much more can we save the economy through this rollout. And, And we've seen it here in Canada. We've seen it across provinces and it really speaks to the fact, you know, who, you know, was in line first to get the vaccinated vaccination, particularly during the second uh, phase rollout. And, you know, a classic example was that we knew that the vaccine should go to essential workers and healthcare workers and seniors first. And and we didn't see that happening. I mean, mm-hmm. needless to say, we're, we're in a better state right now. Um, I still don't think kids should be vaccinated, being vaccinated right now. I think they should. They should have been able to wait longer. They can afford to wait longer because we know that the rate of having COVID in younger children is only 1.2%. And we are reaching that mark for many priority populations that they need their second vaccine right now in order to have the full um, effect and protection against the virus. Having Canada and also the U.S., you know, being vaccinated at the same rate, we need to also think about why is this happening? And yes, it is. It's definitely a competition, but it's also to make sure that we can open the borders uh, up again between the US and Canada for trade purposes to help boost the economy again. So I think You know, we have to always be mindful that when decisions are being made, it's, you know, at the point where it's actually about ensuring that we save the economy and unfortunately does take precedence in terms of how do we save lives.
0: Well, this is the last thing that I want to ask you. I mentioned I would ask it a little while ago. If we can't do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing and helping countries around the world. Convince me or the listeners that we should do it for our own self-interest, you know, that why won't this pandemic end until the pandemic ends in Africa or Southeast Asia?
1: The reality is that everybody deserves getting vaccinated across the world. We cannot be happy if we continue to see others suffer because they're not getting access to the vaccine. So equity and vaccine access is the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. We need to care about saving lives in all countries, not just our own. Also understanding that health is a fundamental human right. Vaccines are like essential medicines and really need to be an integral part of ending this pandemic globally. If we are all as Canadians pushing for global vaccine equity, it really showcases that Canadians are part of an expression of global solidarity and compassion. It sends a clear message that we are in this together and that this pandemic will not be over for Canadians until it is over for the entire world. Also, it's a smart thing to do. Having global vaccination coverage really offers the quickest path to ending this global pandemic and also reaching global population immunity. We can't just focus in on herd immunity in Canada because none of us will be safe until we are all safe.
0: Dr. Banerjee, thank you so much uh, for opening up on this issue with us today.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really
0: appreciate it. Dr. Ananya Tina Banerjee of McGill University. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can talk to us anytime on email, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. As always, every podcast player in the world you will find our podcast in. Same thing with smart speakers. Just ask them to play The Big Story Podcast. You can do it in that voice if you want. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.